broadcasting live from the Winthrop House. You're now listening to the Safe Negro Podcast Show. Welcome back, boys and girls. Welcome back to the Safe Negro Podcast Show. It is I, one of the cast of Monte Carlo, Tatiana King. Wow. <laughs> You'll never live that down. Also joining is my best friend co-host. Oh, there you now I'm your best friend. Oh, DJ Ben, I mean, uh, I had an AKA, but I can't remember it, um, you know, was at that house party this weekend. It was wild. <laughs> you was at the house of, party with Ruby? Yeah, a lot of things were going on, you know what I mean? So, yeah, um, I'm here. Excellent, excellent. And last but not least, we have the lovely. Hi, everyone. Portia Patterson-Hurst here, um, a.k.a. a lot of stuff goes down on them ancient elevators. Yo, a billion, when a billion dollars goes down on that elevator, a billion words of Adam on that elevator. Whoa. Mm. We'll talk a little bit more about that soon. Um, before we get too deep into the show, however, we wanted to just share a special message of of love and condolences to the Chadwick Bozeman who has uh, just passed, uh, or we were just informed that he passed. Um, it's very difficult to, I guess, accept. Um, it's a lot to take in it's a lot to process at the same time we want to make sure we raise his name up in love and we raise his name up in in appreciation so we wanted to make sure we we talked about him talked about his contribution really quick um obviously we one of the things he, we know him for he played jackie robinson in 42 uh and jackie robinson is, is very quite prevalent in lovecraft country hbo so um, wanted to make sure that we we shared a little bit of our love on there. Um, I know for those listening to For All Nerds, we'll be talking about him some more. Um, also, as a Howard grad, as a as a champion of blackness, if you will. All in all, we just want to say, you know, our heart is heavy, um, but we're thinking about him. We're thinking about his family. We're thinking about everybody who's going through it right now. Um, and you know, we know that the king will always live. Mm. I think it also relates to this episode and the fact that, you know, ancestry and our ancestors always watching all over us. So, you know, definitely peace to Chadwick Bozeman and, and friends and family and everything. And, you know, hold your head, everybody, and stay strong out there. Indeed, indeed. Um, that being said, we got to get into this episode. We are now on episode three of Lovecraft Country called Holy Ghost. Again, <clears throat> director Daniel Sackheim, written by... Misha Green and Sonya Witten. Um, lots of major, major themes in this episode. Obviously, the main one being the Holy Ghost, Black Church spirituality, and everything around and adjacent to it. Um, any thoughts on how, just even just the title of the episode, what your thoughts were going into it? Oh, man. Um I don't know about y'all, but I grew up in a Southern Baptist church in Houston, Texas, and I saw people catch the Holy Ghost in person. Mm. So as soon as I saw the title, it just brought back all the memories of childhood because I grew up in Wheeler Avenue Baptist Church. For those who went to Houston or lived in Houston, y'all know Third Ward. 
Mm. And it was a very black um, church. And when it's, you know, at the time it was not that large. Then it got large, you know. But even once it was a large church and it's much bigger now, but it was still a very black, very, very Southern Baptist church where you would see people every Sunday in service, you know, during the sermon, during the gospel, during, you know, a choir and somebody solo, people are full out streaming in yes. the aisles, speaking in tongues and words and mm-hmm. everything. It was, yeah. you know, so that's what Holy Ghost brought up for me immediately. <laughs> that brought up those vibes. I, yes. I know for me, it, it brings up a lot of different vibes because I didn't necessarily grow up in the church mm-hmm. um, in, in a way. Like I grew up actually as a Jehovah's Witness. Mm. Um on one side of the family and mm-hmm. then on the other side of the family like you said it's kind of that southern baptist kind of situation mm-hmm. yeah. so i had very conflicting experiences <laughs> to oh, say the too. least <laughs> yeah. and so for me going to church and seeing people catch the spirit catch the holy ghost was actually very uh terrifying <laughs> for me fast <laughs> i mean I, honestly that's that's the best word i could put there. It, it was terrifying i was like oh okay she yeah. just fell out great um Obviously, when I got a little older, I understood and 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 had more context to what mm-hmm. was going on because yes. no one explained a thing to me as a child. Uh, but the reason why I wanted to just see if we all had, you know, uh, and 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 Portia, please jump in if you had a personal experience with that. But I, I just know that the the term Holy Ghost and that feeling has a lot of connotation <laughs> depending on who you talk to. <laughs> I think for me, it was like, because similarly to you, Tatiana, I had a conservative church experience. Like it wasn't um, Jehovah's Witness, but we were Church of Christ. And mm. there ain't, there's no drums. There's no like instruments in Church of Christ. It's just you in the songbook. And so there was no one one catching the spirit. Um, <laughs> so when <laughs> Holy Ghost comes up and stuff, I think of like the literal like translation, mm. like, is there a trinity here? Are we mm. supposed to be looking in this episode for a father, a son, and a holy ghost or a spirit mm. or something of that nature? Mm. Mm. And that's always interesting to me too, because even though I first, like, I think I became aware of it during when I was reading, what's that book? Uh, what's the Tom Hanks movie? Um, damn Forrest it. Gump? That's no, not Forrest Gump. <laughs> I'm like, the one- there's so many Tom Hanks <laughs> I know, but the one where he's investigating all the... um. Conspiracies and whatnot. Uh, there's something code. Oh, the, oh, the, oh, oh, the Da Vinci Code. The Da Vinci Code. Yeah, in that book, they talk a lot about how fem- the womanism has been removed from the Bible. And originally, the Holy Ghost was rep- uh, was meant to represent either Mary Magdalene or just the feminine side. And then they turn it to a Holy Ghost. You know, this. And it's as a kid, also, Portia, I also had that other side of it too, where I was like, wait a minute, like, there's God, there's Jesus, and what's this Holy Ghost? You know, <laughs> like, wait, wait, like, oh, wait a minute, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I just saw exorcists, you know, at that point, like, you know, I've seen, um, what's the other one that comes up in this, you know, the classic, a uh, poltergeist, mm-hmm. yeah, and I, but so when you say Holy Ghost, it's like to a child, just like you know, I was mm-hmm. shook. Mm-hmm. Well. So, yeah. A lot of the themes, both spiritual <laughs> and and supernatural, are all throughout this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, the episode does open with Letitia in church. Uh, everyone's catching the spirit. Everyone's catching the Holy Ghost. <laughs> everyone's just you know moving and 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 feeling it. Um, it was a great point that was made by Ben Amin when watching. Um, he noted that the voiceover is from Laomi Maldonado. Mm-hmm. Laomi is one of my absolute favorite people in the world. Period. Uh, Laomi is a trans woman 
Um, she she's now mainstream known for her um, voguing and her Nike commercial. Um, she's also known as Wonder Woman, the Amazon, you know, mother of Laomi, uh, excuse me, mother of voguing. Um, she's a house mother. And um, she first got her start mainstream through the show America's Best Dance Crew. Um, yep. So I thought that was amazing that they uh, had Laomi actually say that opening, that uh, have that voiceover intro um, for the opening of the show. She didn't and, um, yeah. actually voice it. It was actually, uh, it's from a Nike ad and it was voiced by Precious Angel Ramirez, but it's speaking to Laomi. And speaking okay. about her, you know, the, the person in it says, hey, Lay, what did you do to make a mark on this world? What mountains That's did right. you climb? So they're That's actually right. speaking to and of Laomi's greatness, basically. Exactly, exactly. Yep. Uh, and also, we see a, a quick intro slate, which says, in the summer of 1955, a group of Negro men and women moved into a, a house on the north side of Chicago. Ten days later, three people went missing inside the house, never to be seen again. Now, this is important <clears> because <throat> this throws everyone off the track immediately. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I, I think a great way that Misha writes these episodes, Misha and the, the writers room is, themselves, how they write these episodes and, and, and give you this one frame and go completely left. Uh, and, and so all those people who always try to guess what's going to happen in these Lovecraft Country sh- uh, episodes, you're always wrong. <laughs> I don't think you're ever going to get it. Um, but it is what it is. Uh, mm-hmm. Moving on, we get to day one of this uh, 10-day excursion, if you will. And this entire episode is cut up into each day, like like th- different things that happen during each day, and they, they title each day. Yeah, uh, and that's also, yeah. uh, sorry, just a quick reference sure. to sure. Uh, The Shining. I think, as far as I can tell, I mean, The Shining is definitely famous for it because The Shining had that type of, cuts in it where it'd be like wednesday thursday friday Mm -hmm. you know they wouldn't even go in order sometimes so it would go all out of order but that was the only one that i could figure out for that reference i'm not sure if that's an intentional or but it's also fucking great how that dream was like day one at this point i feel any like kind of easy to make reference that that you can catch i think Mm -hmm. it's all intentional Um, Mm. um we've all learned about misha she she moves with intent she moves with purpose and everything yep. she does. So I absolutely think that's intentional. Um, as mentioned, this is day one. We see that Letitia and Ruby first go to this house that Letitia bought. Um, she she says, hey, Ruby, you need to move in. I'm, I'm doing this for you. Um, you need to, you know, she wants to do something nice as, as Ruby's sister. She feels like Ruby has always taken care of her. And this is her way of giving back. Um, this is also, as we, we'll find out later, this is called the Winthrop House. Um, and also what you all hear when you listen to this every episode of the Negro Safe Negro podcast show. <laughs> uh, one thing I wanted to mention is when they first get there and Letty's showing Ruby around, she mentions that there's 13 rooms. Soon she says that I flip out and go, oh, everybody going to die. Because first of all, the house is really creepy. It's very old. It's a fixer upper. It needs a lot to be done. And then when someone says, oh, 13, 13 is un- an unlucky number. For people who build houses or know a lot about architecture, a lot of times, and in, in, in especially if you're in New York, in tall buildings, there is no 13th floor because it just represents bad juju, bad stuff. So for her to say that there were 13 rooms, which is, which is very strange to me, I got the heebie-jeebies immediately. But I also thought, oh, was that a quick reference to 13 Ghosts? Hearing that the episode is called, you know, The Holy Ghost, 13 Rooms, um, 13 Ghosts is a cool uh, film. It's, it's kind of a cult classic now, but I've always liked it. 2001 film 
Um, had a few people in it, including Rod Digger, just randomly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, Does she make it out? I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to say anything. Okay, I want you to watch okay. the movie. If All you've right. never watched the movie, watch that movie. But it's really cool. Like, it, yep. it, it, it is literally about a, a giant house where there are 13 ghosts that, or there are 13 ghosts that are trapped in the house. Um, I, I, I won't put too much um, detail in there, but mm. and each ghost is, has, people have, is a person that has died off a really horrible means, you know, people who were murdered, people who, even in like um, during slavery times, people who were murdered by white people, mm. um, people who came across hard times. Like it's, it's every, almost all the ghosts are really violent and really horrible. Um, and as the course of this show, of this episode of Lovecraft goes on, I keep seeing more references to it. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Um, during that time, we also get our first hit of music. Um, during that first day, actually. Um, they go back to uh, where Hippolyta lives. And she is obviously distraught. As we know in the previous episode, Uncle George has passed. Um, Hippolyta, it's a shot of Hippolyta in her room. She, she's obviously grieving going through it. Um, and she's tearing up pages out of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the song Ain't That a Shame by Fats Domino starts playing. Um, she, she's broken up. I mean, it's been like, it seems to have been about a month or so. I think Almost three a weeks. Month. About three point, weeks. Yeah, about three weeks since yeah. the death of George. And I mean, obviously, for anyone who's lost a family member, anything like that, you know, you're going to be broken up. And Ain't That a Shame is playing by Fats Domino, which that was one thing we'll talk about if we get into it. I felt like this episode had some musical choices where they were just like a little bit right on the nose, you know, like Ain't That a Shame. But at the same time, the music is also very historically relevant. It's, you know, right for the period piece that it would be. And it's great to hear all these different black artists that you don't get to hear regularly like that. So shout out to the music director for doing that. And, you know, still fire. So yeah, Ain't That a Shame plays. Let us hurt. Um, we go downstairs and you see the family interacting with Lita, interacting with the rest of the family, with Tick and with D. And that scene hurt me man because like that's something that i've experienced when you're going through grief and stuff is like it's those little things that really f you up you know you'll like set the table for someone and then you realize they ain't there no more you know and that that type of stuff just really that was getting to me it was it was really well done because it's just subtle but it's just exactly how it feels to go through grief yeah, for me, that scene, um, it's the way that she kind of flinched away from the cup um, and kind of mm. like furtively looked at Atticus. Mm-hmm. And then later we hear why she did that. It made me question what she knew about, like, because we know we got that bombshell last episode that George could be Atticus's father. So I wondered um, how much, because she's, why was she ripping apart his like treasured book? Why is she so pissed off? And Atticus has been staying with him for a month. How much has Atticus been doing that reminds her of this thing that might have been in the back of her mind? Like, is this his kid kind of thing? So I, I wonder how much she knows about who Atticus's father could really be and how pissed off she might be about it. And she even mentions that later, right? During the episode. Yeah, so it's... I feel like everybody on this show, especially the older black people, all know way more than they are. <laughs> oh, look, an older black person in your family knows the truth. And won't I mean, tell that's you. always the facts. Come oh, on. Like, every like, time. They always know the dirt. Always. 
And then when they start telling you, they be laughing about it and shit like it's nothing. <laughs> you know, like you, your dumb ass ain't figured it out yet. It's the worst part, too, because whenever you're younger, they'd be like, stay on a grown folks business. And yeah. like, okay, but like when I get 25, you're going to tell yeah. me on a grown folks business. And here I am yeah. looking like Boo Boo the Fool because you didn't tell me when I was five. So who's who's the one? He wasn't here? ready. <laughs> like, yeah, girl, Uncle Tyrone always been the serial killer. Like, girl, yeah, like, I didn't, could you? I didn't, I didn't need to know that at five. See? Could you have I mean, given me a heads up? I rather would have grown with the knowledge than have been hit with the knowledge after, right. you know? I just, I it's, personally. It's a debate. <laughs> like the hell uh so uh, you know as you said we, we this is this this is the first part of the setup um we also end up getting to see what montrose is doing um later on atticus goes to his father's house montrose is, is essentially drinking himself to death um and he's also telling stories of the tulsa massacre mm. um again something that we, we we highlighted for this show it even shows like watchmen where they're teaching a lot about the history of America that, for what one reason or another, isn't taught in schools, um, or, or a lot of people don't learn until they're adults. Um, during that story that that Machos keeps talking about, he's he's saying it in a drunken stupor. Um, he mentions how uh, someone akin to a Jackie Robinson type, a man with a bat, actually saved Machos and George. Um, I, I believe it was it from a group of white people or something like yes. that. Yeah, yes. yeah, like like a, ro- a roving band of white people who were, you know, obviously there to terrorize black people. But um, you know, a Jackie Robinson comes to save them. Um, and this actually also references the the first episode of this show with the dream that Atticus has um, about Jackie Robinson coming and beating the snot out of Cthulhu. <laughs> yes, and and hitting him with the "I got you, kid" line. That now in this episode we see Atticus says that he's heard this story from Montrose so many times that he feels like he was actually there. Mm. So when Jackie Robinson is in his dream saving him, it references that, and also probably a lot more things. Like we once again, I I'm, I feel like Montrose knows a whole hell of a lot more than he's talking about, and yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, when when um. What's the child's name? When Atticus first gets in there, um, the child. <laughs> there's the record. The record was was spinning because, like again, his dad's drunk as hell. Um, Machos gets up, turns a, another song back on, and starts playing an Italian aria. Um, you know, he tells Atticus to stop worrying about wizards. You know, magic. Uh, he, he mentions that white folks got magic on their side too. You know, basically referencing the fact that white white people white supremacy number one racism number two and now they got magic to top it all off you know the trifecta of white terrorism if you will um i when i heard that italian aria playing i was i'm not really sure what was playing we did look it up a few times um i know ben just said that's montrose's i'm drunk music i wonder if it was aida which is a an italian opera about uh an ethiopian princess that falls in love with an egyptian prince and it's kind of like a romeo and juliet thing where like the families don't want them together and you know they end up dying but or killing themselves but um i wonder if that's what what it was if, if someone knows hit us up let us know but it, it again she's singing in italian the mm-hmm. singer so we don't know which one it was mm. um but it, it, it was it's beautiful I actually love operas yes uh one other point i was thinking about this in portia i think you kind of were leaning into this too when mantra says do you want me to tell to um, tell black folks that they got magic on their side too so, okay, that could reference that they have racism on their side, you know, and magic. Or it could also reference that 
black folks have magic. And that's, that's like what, what we thought. Yeah, and that's what we were talking about with the whole episode being about spirituality and, you know, the name of it being the Holy Ghost. And we see so many different forms of spirituality being brought up in this episode. And Montrose knowing way goddamn more than he want to let on. Yeah, and I think a lot of, uh, we're going to see this later in the episode, but I think traditionally, uh, like, whenever we think about magic in the U.S., it's white people poking around with uh, black people's magic, like voodoo mm. or something like that. So I think that's it. So I, if Montrose is saying, like, acknowledging that like black people's magic is real because this white people magic is real then it's a whole that opens up a whole different degree of things because right because like if you think about it george and atticus are very much like sci-fi fantasy people and that's all like in books it's all fantasy but if montrose is like oh no all this is real like because montrose has never been like really with them with trying to like be into these different like fantasy kind of setups so it's interesting like he's like acknowledging a thing that he doesn't really want to acknowledge Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we do cut then to day two, which is moving day into the new Winthrop house. Uh, Tick comes by <laughs> looking for a place to stay. He got kicked out. Um, what's that's not surprising. Um, Ruby is not feeling the other people that are in the house. So remember, we were told earlier there are thirteen rooms in that house. So uh, Leticia has decided to move in a bunch of her artsy friends, Erica Badu and them. Um immediately j- damn near immediately here come white terrorism the neighbors come by alvin and the chipmunks and them coming by to harass the blacks uh they roll up with their cars and they lean uh, bricks onto their car horns to just cause noise terrorism right what mm-hmm. is that called when you use you just use noise to to not just bother someone but to like get into their minds like near the psyche like there's a phrase for that like you use loud noises, like just constant uh, assault on your senses. Intimidation, terrorism. Sure. Yeah. Go with terrorism. Terrorism, sure. White people don't get called terrorists near enough. Sure, sure. Um, and, and also, even even through, like from the beginning, when, when they're first showing up at the house, you do see like white people peeking out of windows and looking like, oh, what are they, what are the blacks doing here in our neighborhood? Um, they're, they're not happy. But they're they're starting to do what they normally do, particularly in this time, which is they start doing subtle things again, like, you know, putting down signs that say this is a white neighborhood. And then they start doing more overt things, as we say, with this car horn situation. Um, Yeah, I just wanted to shout out one thing about I love the shot of introducing all the different neighbors as it goes through the house. We get this really great continuous shot from upstairs to downstairs following the neighbors and following Letitia and then Tick coming into the house and her taking a shot of him with her camera. Just really nice camera work there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we jumped into day five uh, where we have uh, Letitia in bed. Um, and again, this this show is doing this. And I will say the people who are scared of the whole horror movie aspect, this this was the episode that you probably wanted to avoid if you're uh, if you're scary like that. But um, we, we wake up. It's, it's daytime. It's morning time. Letitia's in bed and you start to see her kind of rustling about and her blanket slowly starts to get pulled off of her. Now, I saw a hand. Maybe I was chipping, but I thought I saw a hand at the end of the bed, but I didn't see the person. I just saw a hand. There's and then a I disembodied get... hand. It was remember, a dis. Okay. Because remember that's, Thank the, you, that's what the, that's what the case said is that there were dismembered bodies found in the house. 
Okay. Mm. I thought I was tripping. I guess I wasn't. You see this disembodied hand pulling the the cover away and then it then it disappears. And I'm like, okay, well maybe I was tripping. Um then no. <laughs> then as the camera starts panning around the bed, you see basically this walking dead woman pop out, staring at Letitia as she's asleep. I was done. Like I told you, I was done when she said it was 13 rooms. I was super done when this scene happened. I didn't I, I couldn't deal with it. Um and I was just like, if she don't wake up and get the hell out of there, um, the covers get completely pulled off her. Letitia wakes up in a shock and everything, you know, as usual in every horror, horror movie, the the ghost or whatever is gone. Um, but she does wake up to that she's back in where she was, which is the horns outside are still blasting. The heat is actually super hot in her room right now. So that makes her go to the basement to investigate and see what's going on. Hmm. Yeah. And in the basement, I think that's like a huge reference to uh, Freddy Krueger and the whole Nightmare on Elm Street series because Nightmare on Elm Street, everyone knows about Freddy Krueger, et cetera. But it always has the boiler scene where it's super hot. You have, you know, you're trying to turn it down and then in comes Freddy slashing away. And also just the idea of the basement where your like past is buried because Freddy is like burned up, you know, in the house after he kills all these kids on Elm Street. Like mm-hmm. that's what the original story is, is that Freddy is a child murderer and he kills some right. kids and then the families of Elm Street get together. They try, you know, he try he gets off, he doesn't get convicted, and so they band together and murder this dude. And then he comes back haunting them years later. So definitely some, and there's a lot more Freddy Krueger at, uh, and Nightmare on Elm Street shout outs throughout this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, you made a point here that, you know, with, with all the, the excessive heat and the noise that it's actually a war tactic. Mm-hmm. Um, was that something that Atticus mentioned or is this something that is just related to him? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I noted that. Yeah, because Atticus, um, he said that's uh, uh, Letty like while they're down there because he comes down and like after he hears her like screaming. Mm-hmm. I think she pull, I think she brings him down that first time. Yeah, she calls him. I think. Yeah. After that, right? Yeah. And uh, so he's down there with her, and he, she's like, "The I know I'm not like imagining these things, like the boilers staying high and all this noise or whatever." And then there's something about the windows, and he's like. Yeah, this is all, like, war tactics. Like, this is something, this is the same thing we went through in Korea. Like, there's the excessive heat and a noise, and she says, why? And he just kind of, like, leaves it, like, right there. Mm-hmm. I was trying to understand, like, like, I felt like he was also, he was showing empathy, but I also wonder if that was kind of also a note to how she treated him before, like, when he was before, when she didn't believe, when she was under that spell, she didn't believe that all those monsters were there. Like she was like, "Oh, well, maybe you're losing it. Maybe it's because you've mm. been to the war. You have PTSD." And now she's kind of, and the, the 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 tables have been reversed. You know, she was on the other foot. So I wonder if he's looking at her like, you know, well, you know, I'm not crazy. You know, things happen, and and stress and trauma does get to you. There's definitely a lot of wild, you know, tension in this scene because, I mean, yeah. beyond just that, you know, you got to remember Letty also, you know, saw that snake come out of Atticus's pants, <laughs> you know, she and not the snake. Who she, she thought was, was Atticus, yeah. Yeah, not the snake she wanted. So, you know, it's there's a lot, you know, and Atticus stabbed a woman that I think he might have been in love with. So mm-hmm. there's a whole lot right now in this whole scene. And I know, Portia, you wanted to say something about the black hair scarf appreciation. 
Yeah, that's like I definitely appreciated that this whole time. Like as soon as <laughs> as soon as she got out of bed and the scenes where she's down in the attic, the whole time she's a friend of Atticus who like you know from the tension we know there's some sexual tension there like and you know mm-hmm. a lot of times if you try to be cute in front of somebody you take your scarf off real quick try to fix it up um or you try to find it cute in front of them but she's like no she's not even she's so worried she doesn't even care like her hair's gonna stay in her scarf she's gonna be wearing her pjs as it's gonna kind of help her no matter what like she is there for it i loved it i love that it's so true to being like a black woman like when things come to uh bear like sure like to be cute but also like who's worried about that when there's a ghost in my house like mm. this is real big facts and i big. love that she had her weapon at the ready like a lot what in horror movies what we always see the person has nothing to defend themselves with when she went down there she, that she that wrench became the next weapon yes. to knock somebody else out the head and 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 portia thank you for mentioning that because i like that when she was she woke up she was sleeping she had a Hair scarf on. We mm-hmm. put on scars when we, you know, we're trying to protect our hair, and that that's real. That's normal. So yes. I appreciated that a lot. No facts. That whole scene was just great, though. But with the teen, with the tension between them two, also, um, just Atticus's like both of them. You know, they they both know that they have this attraction to each other. But Atticus has left a lot behind that we know about, and a lot that we don't know about. So I just love seeing it just build up. Mm-hmm. slowly and then you know not so slowly you know a little bit in a little bit things Excellent. pop off oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh the the show is is doing a great job of moving the story along because we already jump into day eight at this point mm-hmm. um and there is a huge party uh because leticia and friends moved in they're celebrating them you know having this new spot they've invited all of South Side Chicago to the North Side. <laughs> it's a party. Um, and there's some interesting conversations going on. Um, ben, can you talk about a little bit about these conversations? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I almost, how could I forget? Uh, yes, as Letitia is moving through the party, being the hostess with the mostest, uh, a couple of her friends are in the kitchen, I think, having a conversation about a young preacher named Martin. And we all know that in 1955, they're definitely referencing MLK Jr., Martin Luther King, respect. And they are having this conversation about whether or not he is marrying this white woman and talk about how he can't marry a white woman if he wants to represent black people. That can't happen, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if this is shocking. And also, I'm not going (laughs) to put no dirt on a dead man's name. But (laughs) if you see other films... um, I want to actually. I think the what Selma. I Selma. Think you, yes, I want to oh, say in Selma. There's a Selma. there's a huge reference to it when the FBI are listening in on um King they, or or, or the wiretapped him. Yeah. yeah, and they they no, it wasn't they Selma. Bugged, could, they bugged his house. Like whenever. Oh, he they went. bugged they bugged both Malcolm and Martin. Yeah. But they, at one point they're making they're talking about Malcolm and they're like, um, oh man, he don't give us no nothing like Martin did. You know, talking about Martin's dalliances outside of marriage, marriage et cetera. Yeah. yeah. And there's also, there's as far as I know, there's like some recordings of Martin just saying some, you know, wild, you know, like, my man. Word. Look, <laughs> man, I, you know, preachers, you know, they, you know, yeah. some of them are for the, you know. Look, I mean, I think, all, I think that's actually important to note because a lot of people Men are think- fallible. Men are fallible, and <laughs> also even the the greatest heroes are still human, and mm. they still say and do effed up ish. Yes. Um. So you know they're they're not these these gods roaming the earth. No. Um, they represent a lot of godly values, but they're also human. 
It was yeah, interesting that... to me that the gossip that they shared, though, was that, like, oh, no, they made him marry a, a colored girl. Like, that mm. was... Right. And I was confused. And now, that point, I didn't know whether they literally meant a white mm. woman or not because I thought... Because Coretta is very light-skinned, was very mm-hmm. light-skinned. I thought they were just trying to say she looked white, but Ben was like, oh, no, he was messing with white women. Like, that. I said, wait! <laughs> I've even heard after Coretta, you know what I mean? Like, oh, I didn't know. Yeah, I've, I've, you know, I mean, come on, man. Like, you think you're gonna stop? Like, when you know, like, (laughs) this man was, you know, out giving speeches to thousands. You know, things was popping. You know, like, I mean, the FBI is on your ass too. You know, things popping. Oh my god. I mean, you know, it's a lot. You know, it's it's do with the bad, but you know, look, you he was a celebrity, and it was like back in the day of the Green Book, so people weren't staying at hotels; they were staying in people's houses. Oh wow! You stayed at the Good Widow's house, you know, and things were going down. (laughs) Not the Good Widow. Yo, Portia P with the heat, bro. Oh my god! For for those watching, you see Portia's face right now. Oh my god! All right. Uh, <laughs> so this conversation wow. about the dilly the dilly dallies of MLK Jr. is happening. Um, Ruby is back in her bag, back in her telfar, singing. Ooh. She is giving an incredible performance, much like she did at the block party. She's singing "Boogie at Midnight." Mm-hmm. I did, I don't know that that song. I don't know if anybody can speak to that song. Um, it's more just yet another standard. A lot of the songs in this episode, and a lot of the songs at the time, you know, were just standards where. They're written by one person and it's performed by multiple people. Mm, okay. Like, so it's like one of those standard party type, like sign of the time type songs. Not sign of the times, but like, uh, you know, those type of entertainment songs during that. Yeah, like I even want to say, I think it's the take it. No, it's not take it back. It's I think if one, it might even been um that song, but one of the songs uh, was written by someone, performed by someone, and then three months later. And this is all in real life. A black woman performed it, and it became a hit as well. You know, it's just like how it was back then. Like people would release a song, somebody else would cover it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you have like ten covers of the same song. Yeah, all okay. day and night. Yeah, okay, not okay, more. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Um, as we continue on, you know, again, this party, this house is packed full of people. Everybody's having a great time, drinking, singing, all that. Um. Uh, Hippolyta has a conversation with Letty. Um, you know, Letty's basically trying to hope uh, check in with Hippolyta and see how she's been holding up. Um, Hippolyta does mention that what we what we observed earlier that you know she's flipping George's cup. She talks about what George's mannerisms and, and and the little things he used to do in the house, and it's clear like that she she and, and more than just beyond just the fact that he died, she feels like something's missing. Like pieces of information has not been told. Like you can see as the episode goes on, that she she's almost, I don't even know, almost, maybe she is, she is angry because Gross. she feels like she doesn't know the full story about how George passed. Super. Yeah. Super angry. I thought, like, we didn't really even speak about her conversation with Montrose earlier where she was, you know, going off on that man, you know, telling him, I want, I mean, yeah, I need to know something. Right, exactly. Man, uh, that actress, now, oof. Now, every everybody who has a house party or black people have a house party knows all the adults stay upstairs or in one side doing anything. All the kids go to the kids' table or get relegated to a back room or whatever it is. In this case, the kids are downstairs, I uh, think in, in the basement. Um, and they are, for some reason, playing with a Ouija board. <laughs> First of all, that is the devil. I never... And- 
I don't know what the deal was maybe back in 1955, Mm-mm. but my mother would never let me near no damn Ouija board. Mm-mm. My first thought seeing that scene was, I ain't never seen no black kids play the Ouija board in my life. Not I unless have. The, not unless it was at a white kid's house. I ain't never heard of a black kid having one. Hmm. I'm trying to remember. I, I, that's the devil. There was one in the hood, I feel like. You know, I, feel, I had to say, I feel like We don't like mess with no spirits. I, I, I never, I, me personally, I didn't even put my hand on that board. But I, I couldn't I be have in the same room as a damn thing. Yeah, I have a memory of somebody in the hood having one. Now, I know white boys had them in every goddamn, you know, every, <laughs> every house I went to, you know, they had a Ouija board. Like, that was standard, you know, Monopoly Ouija board, you know, Rega- right there. Regardless of what ethnicity <laughs> holds on to the Ouija board. I, no, it's Monopoly. Be, <laughs> right <laughs> with it. Where you else you going to put it? It's a board game to them. They just, well, oh, you know. Well, you shouldn't be messing sorry, with Sorry, Monopoly, Ouija board. You should not Uno. be messing with spiritual Monopoly, period. <laughs> period, because that is Spiritual the Scrabble. The Regardless of who you are, what your background is. Spiritual Scrabble, we'll call it, yeah. Um, these kids, okay, so so these black kids is playing with this Ouija board. Um, I was just like, not realistic. Yes, um, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Okay, but if someone again, had to say but, it. But then again... But then again, this is a family that that embraces sci-fi and the supernatural mm. and all that stuff. So, you know, perhaps for all we know, that belongs to Dee, the daughter. Like that's one of her toys. So whatever. Um, while they're doing this, "Good Rocking Daddy" by Etta James is playing in the background. Um, as they are asking the board different questions, like I forgot what the questions they were asking, but I put them they, in the notes. Do you? Do you? I don't know if you have any questions. Oh, what the question? Oh, who's the coolest person in the group? Um, will Bubba have a good time on a trip? Like they're asking right, very standard, basic ass questions. But as this is happening, the music starts switching up. The music starts. It starts going. It starts basically sounding like screw music. You know, to it, it sounds very something straight out of Houston. I think they screwed Good Rack and Daddy. Yeah, right there. Music starts screwing and slowing down, and it's not. And I'm thinking, oh, it's just a, an effect for the audience. No, the kids hear it too. And at that point, I'm like, so y'all still playing with the Ouija board? <laughs> I didn't realize they heard it. <laughs> they heard it because they reacted to it. They were like, oh. I'm like, well, if y'all hear that, don't you think something's wrong? But anyway. Don't you hear the music? <laughs> what movie the is that? That's from like one of the screams, I think, or something with dude. was like, don't you hear the music? <laughs> I, I don't know. But they're doing this, and, and the board itself is starting to act up. Now, the, for those who don't know what Ouija boards are, it's supposed to, it's a spiritual scrabble. It's supposed to summon <laughs> spirits to answer these questions for you. Everyone is in a big circle. They all, every person has their hands on this this pointer, and this pointer moves across word, letters of the alphabet to spell out words. And the idea is there's somebody in the group who's actually pushing the Ouija board, but it's a secret who's doing it. And you're supposed to pretend that it's ghosts moving moving it around and, and giving you um, giving you comments and sentences. Uh, this is the work of the devil. So the spirits are moving the, the pointer around. And this is, comes as no surprise that some type of spirit starts moving the board around or start moving the pointer around on this board as they're asking these questions. Um, after the first couple of questions, you know, the kids notice that the kids are like, okay, someone else is moving us. Someone else is willing us. So they're asking, they ask, who are we talking to? And the board takes over or the spirit, whomever, and pushes their hands around to spell, George is dead. Now, if that's Cold one of the blooded. meanest, coldest things I have ever seen. And this is happening. And again, remember, D, the daughter of George and Hippolyta, is one of the kids who was playing with the board. So when she reads that, she understands 
understandably jumps up, flips out, who, you know, thinks somebody's messing with her. All the kids, you know, deny it, say they're not moving it. It moved on its own. She runs out. When the name George was spelled out, she took her hands off the pointer. Yes. Mm. And then as soon as it was kept spelling, the kids kept their hands on, but she was just looking like what the F is going on. So it was just like, it was, it was, she was already like alarmed at the name and then it just kept going. And so it was just like pure horror for her at that point. Yeah. Go ahead, Ben. No, I just, I'm I'm just happy to say that, you know, like you said, that it was uh, just a little bit unrealistic for these black kids to be in a basement playing with a goddamn Ouija board. It was just like, it was just, it was dark. Black kids. (laughs) Basement, Ouija board, you know, all three of those, just hard to believe, you know, but all right, you know, But then again, like I said, this is 1955, maybe stuff was different. They had nowhere else to go. But also what other games they have to play. I was talking to my mom the other day, I was like, I can't, for the life of me, imagine explaining to a kid today what Jax is, and my mom explained what Jax was to me, like what she used to play with. Oh, like uh, the skip the put a ball down. I barely know what it is. Exactly. (laughs) She explained it to me when I was younger, and I was like, why would you play that? That's that doesn't make any sense to me. She's like, that's dumb. <laughs> she was mad fun when you had nothing else. Exactly. I'm like, they don't yeah. have anything like what we have today. So it's like, I don't they know. They had Monopoly. I'm pretty sure Monopoly outdates a damn Ouija board because that yeah. Dumb. But also, yeah. how expensive were these games? Like, True. did people? I mean, again, I'm not in nobody's pockets in this series, but I just, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I I just don't. And like I said, I don't know what it was back then. Back then, maybe no one thought it was a big deal. For me, I this just is like, a imagine that they found the Ouija board in the basement because the spirits in the thinking. house are that clever. And I could see mm-hmm. them having it sitting out there for somebody to play with. There you go. That's what I'm thinking. Um, at this point, something Tore we go back. Half. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, now, Portia, I, I'm not sure what which part happens next, whether it's the what they see outside on the lawn or whether this is oh no 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 else, yeah but... no it's it's um it's litter going upstairs looking for d and uh but she looks for d because of what happens outside no it's she no, does it no. she does she's she looks... just randomly looking for her daughter yeah, yeah. okay yeah, please so continue she, yeah well she's looking for d and um while looking for d a door in the winthrop house just opens up for her and she looks into the door and finds the and I Googled it to get the, uh, the pronunciation. pronunciation. And I want to say it's orrery. Yep. That's how Or It's orrery or orrery? Orrery. Orrery. I, I, mean, I don't know how to pronounce it. That's what I'm asking. All right. Look, look, look y'all. This ain't no kind of mon- <laughs> This ain't no cast of Monte Cristo thing right here. All right. But an orrery is a mechanical model of a solar system or just the sun, earth, and moon used to represent their relative positions and motions. But as we, the audience, can immediately see... And for those who read the book already know, that shit is not our solar system that she's looking at. It's not. Clearly. It's a little off. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot going on. And, yeah. and the Earth wasn't one of them. So um, this will be very big later for book readers. This is that moment where we're all like, yes, God damn it. Yes. That's yes. <laughs> so. a big, big moment for the book readers. Yeah. Um, also, during while she's looking for, while Hippolyte is looking for her daughter, um, I want to mention this because this is another recurring theme of the episode. There's there's lots of, of thoughts or notes to um, kind of the Amazons and all that stuff. Um, Hippolyta is calling for D, but then she uses her full name of Diana. Mm-hmm. Diana is actually the the human name of, of Wonder Woman, who is the daughter of Hippolyta, if you are a comic book head. 
Um, and we mentioned at the top of the episode that um, the the voiceover is someone talking to Laomi Maldonado, who is also known as Wonder Woman mm-hmm. in the ball scene. So um, I thought I thought that was interesting that that kept coming up as we continued. Yep. Um, go ahead, Ben, if you don't mind. All right. Well, you know, at that point, uh, Tick comes rolling into the house and Ruby is appropriately singing, is you or is you ain't my baby. <laughs> Hey, you know, another. He arrives in full regalia, full, full army. Full military. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Military. Yeah, full, okay. Yeah, armed, full. Yeah. Um, I'm not. I'm what not branch sure. of the military is he in? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, very much his army, but like, so. For, it, it, it gives me army vibes. But yeah. It, but the thing is, so initially when I first saw the episode, I thought that this was the first time he arrived. But then I, when I rewatched it, he actually showed up in the scene where um, Letty is pouring the juice. Yeah. He like, she sees him for one quick moment and he doesn't stop to talk to her. He just keeps walking and she's just like, okay. And then she like, like blows it off and she keeps pouring um, mm. the juice out around. So he's been wearing that full regalia the whole time. And then in this scene, we find <laughs> out like where up. he's been. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, he's been out front, you know, keeping an eye on everything in his full regalia. That's the, his intention of wearing the full regalia to let all the white boys in the neighborhood know that they got an army man protecting them there. Mm. You know, a man who knows how to shoot. No problem. So uh, he knows how to shoot. Um, <laughs> does he, though? We'll talk. Um, let's see. So my man strolls into issue or issue ain't my baby. Uh, and runs into this what nigga I, tree. This nigga tree, <laughs> who I like to say is playing the dickhead role. Yes. That pretty much any black man, and probably, I don't know if this is a black man thing, but I'm sure it's just a man thing probably, knows about that friend of yours who's just a complete dickhead. So as soon as he sees you looking at a shorty or whatever, immediately he got he sto- tall tales and stories about how he used to smash. And whenever <laughs> he wants it, he can get it again. Nigga ain't never seen no hair sniff of it, you know? So, come on now. That. I was just like, boy, stop oh, lying. So, I had so many flashbacks. Like, I was just like, oh, this nigga in my ear. Just, you know, like, I've, just, I've heard it all before, fam. He was like, like we used to tussle in high school. I was like, boy, <laughs> If you know what I mean. Yes. Like, what? I, I will I will salute his I'm feeling nostalgic tonight though was you know just completely grimy but a classic piece of dialogue right there. So uh-huh. Yep. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now, now now you can talk about this because you know you said my man how to shoot and I don't know. <laughs> Seemed like you know he he was shooting pretty quick. <laughs> um, <laughs> Not sure if it was so, edited. So obviously th- th- this 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 asshole commentary from Tree is getting to is getting to Atticus because you mm-hmm. see Atticus's face twitching like <laughs> like I I'm like and and because of the the music is so on the nose is you is or you ain't my baby it's like is does Atticus feel like Letty's his girl and and at the same time like they're they're, they're having these conversations Letty is dancing with this guy she's dancing all sensual and all that other stuff. Um, and, and she sees Atticus again and she kind of just, again, just kind of ignores him and continues to dance real central with this guy all up in his face. And Atticus is just like, you just see something break in his head. (laughs) And again, I don't know if that's jealousy. I don't know if that's, he's like, yo, that's my, that's my woman. What is she doing? Whatever. I I also think it's annoying when men do that because it's also, it's always this, this idea of, of ownership over a woman, like that's mine and she can't do anything else or can't be with nobody else but it is what it is but it was um, also like you know it was all it was also kind of wild that she's out there you know dancing with this other dude obviously well, looking not? looking dead in Atticus face like she are you gonna do that they are married facts they also, together. he had a boo in freaking Korea and he's been like playing off and on with her this whole effing time 
Yeah, no, I'm not saying, but I'm not saying that, you know, either of them is right in this situation. I'm like, both of them are trying to drive the other one on. Like, Letty well, is definitely dancing with dude, being like, yo, you going, you know, is you or ain't you my baby? What you doing, fam? Sure, you can say that she's, she's yeah. being ov- overly sensual because she's trying to make him jealous or whatever. But I also think that's a very male gaze thing to say. Like, she's living her life as well. And he but has no ownership over his him. face. She's like, come ah. on, fam, what you doing over there? It, ah. it, I wouldn't even say she's being overly sensual. I just say she's being inviting. Like, she was like, step up, bro. Otherwise, you Maybe. know, I can, do, I can do whatever I want. She can do whatever she wants. I can have, I can have anybody. She you know? can, now, I yes. will say that that's a that's a that's a challenge to him that I can oh, have yeah. anyone and be in. Yeah, definitely. Camp, Come on, yeah. TLC. And I choose you. <laughs> you know, baby, baby, baby. It's a great song. Uh, so you know, whether this pisses Atticus off, whether this spurs him to action, I don't know. But he allows his his <laughs> his true feelings to get to him. Um, Letty stops dancing for a while to go to the bathroom to cool off, and everything gets real steamy real fast all over again because Atticus pops out. Staring at her in the mirror, and you know, they they do the two step. Well, in the, the mirror image was like a ghost. It went yes. from it went from like a scare, like a jump scare, to like Atticus jumping mm-hmm. into the bed in the bathroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yes, exactly. Um, one when, when Atticus does actually show up, like I said they do the verticals two step together. Um, it was very quick. Um, but after it's over, I guess At- Atticus is putting himself together and he notices blood on his fingers. Now, when we all, all first watch this, we think, oh, you know, maybe Letitia was on her period. And, and, and even Letitia makes it seem that way. She goes, oh, you, you know, oh, I didn't realize I was on my cycle, whatever. And, and he brushes it off because he's a grown man and that's what adults do. <laughs> it's just like, girl, that's just your body. It happens. I, I was just trying to get it in. Yeah. Trying to get that why, <laughs> uh, you know, and and again, like I said, I don't know whether it was just he just finally was like, damn it, I'm just gonna do it because I've been I've been holding it inside, or whether it was jealousy. And I don't know if it was jealousy. I don't know if I like that as a motivator. Mm. That's how it. how do y'all feel about the whole Atticus and Letty? You know, because this is like a bit of a change from the book, and I mean. For the show, it, it it just makes. I mean, it was telegraphed so much. Mm-hmm. I just I just expected it. I mean, but how do you feel about it? Like, are y'all happy I, about it? I, I, expect, I mean, for me, it's, it's more of expectation than it's more logic than emotion for me. It's like, well, obviously, they grew up together. They they finally seen each other after all this time. They still love this. You know, they still love what they loved when they were kids. There's still electricity when they look at each other's eyes. I don't know. I had less of an emotional reaction to it than a, yep, that makes sense, reaction. Similar, yeah, I, I think it's expected because, like, you know, this is what we get in the previews is them kissing or whatever. So I'm like, oh, that's they're literally going to just do that in the series. But I don't think that there's any romance here, which is kind of, like, the thing for me. Like, it's not, like, I don't know. It doesn't, he doesn't, like, try to woo her. It's just kind of like, we're here together. We've gone through some traumatic things together. We're going to, like, hold each other down. And if while we we're over here holding each other down, we may as well just have some sex and do whatever. Yeah. Have some sex. Um, you know, I, I think that I do feel that there is an emotional connection beyond just have some sex. But, like, as far is it moving me? Not potential, Not particularly. Um, I, but... I but again, I I think to your point, Portia, I think it, you know a lot of this is spurred by by the shared trauma between the two. Yeah, there you go. I I, I didn't like the connection. Other than they're they're both attractive, you know, mm-hmm. and they had trauma together. Yeah, there's no <laughs> That's romance. That's it, Ben. 
That's so it. you don't feel that there's romance. I mean, that, that that's the spark of a lot of romances. So who am I to judge? You know? Yeah. <laughs> like. But you do get a great, but but for, on an aside, you do a great shot of uh, Jonathan Major's booty. Mm-hmm. Um, I know everyone's loving, I, you know, Jonathan Major has been naked quite a lot in this series already. So, yes. and it's only episode three. So I'm sure there's more to come for all of those salivating over him. Um, as we continue on, um, so, so they do their thing, that thing happens with the blood, they move on. Um, we notice what happens next. Oh, this is when, uh, Alvin and Chipmunks comes back and they decide, hey, let's continue to terrorize the white, the black people. The horns weren't enough. Let's burn a cross on their front lawn. Classic KKK. And that pissed me off. I don't know how, how you all felt about it, but that pissed me off. I feel like black people can't mind their business and enjoy themselves without shit like this happening. Yeah, I, it's just more like I think at that point I just felt like Letty, you know, like that's all y'all got, you know, like for real. Like, all right, then let's just step it up. You know, if y'all going to play hard and come with this cross burning bullshit, we just don't have to really step it up. Yeah. And but that's also like, you know, that goes to the idea of what the KKK and what people were doing by burning crosses is like the disrespect. And it's so wild to me. Right. Because as a kid, I never understood it because I was like, you're burning a cross. But the whole Christian religion is something that white people forced upon African slaves in the first place. You know, and so it's like you're burning a cross to be like, oh, you ain't got no religion or anything. But it's something that y'all force upon us, and that's not the only religion we have, and that's not the only spirits that we believe in. Is that so. what the is that what the burning cross is supposed to symbolize? Because I thought so it was sort of never... like a, it's like look, just like y'all can, just like Jesus was crucified on a cross, we can do whatever the f to you. Like it's could be that too. So I mean, yes, they did it to to intimidate and threaten black people, um, and also apparently other people of color too. Mm-hmm. But I also know that. It they because first of all the KKK stole a lot of stuff from a lot of different religions and ethnicities all over mm. the world, mm. um, including South African, Scottish. Like they, they just went off the deep end when they talk, uh, taking imagery. Um, the I know in, the, in in Scotland there is a, a fiery cross that's used as a declaration of war. Mm. Um, so they co-opted that. Um, mm. I do know some, that in their from what I've seen in documentaries in their. Uh, ceremonies the clan has that they burn crosses around them because it, the symbolization is like it's supposed to like it's like their light their their light of I don't want to say light of gosh but it's, it's it's their light of power it represents what they hold and it's it's a lot with that I mean it's a lot of different connotations that happen but at the end of the day to your point then I mean you are this is a negative. This is yeah. negative, period. It's terrorism. Yeah. yeah. I feel like like the for black southerners, like a burning cross literally is like because they, you know, they always did it at night, definitely like, you know, cover their faces so you they don't own up their stuff or whatever, and they do it at night and they're you know, they do it and then they're gone. So they're not there whenever the cross is burning most of the time, like they were in the show. Um mm-hmm. and I think that for a lot of black families in the South, like when you a burning cross is like something that do would happen at nighttime. So it just kind of like it stands out. You see it for mm-hmm. miles. You like this is just like a burning terrorism thing that you everyone in your wake sees. It's kind of like the scare tactic for everybody to see. Like it's a big spectacle. Mm-hmm. Like Titanic said, like a declaration of war right there. Like yeah, like, war against much, yeah war black against, people. Yeah, yeah. And in the show, it's like we didn't watch all in this neighborhood, y'all. Like as, for me, I felt like Letty knew. 
there's no way Letty moved into this neighborhood and didn't know that they were going to try to do some stuff like this. Like, there's no way. So for me, whenever oh, Letty grabs the bat, like, I'm like, she was, she already had resolved in herself. Like, I already know, like, I'm about to have to go in. Mm-hmm. She knew, and she even mentioned as much when she had the conversation with with Ruby when they first moved in, because Ruby was like, you know, I don't, she essentially said, like, I, I don't think the white folks going to be happy about this. And she was like, well, we're going to bring more black people here to have a party. Like, she, she's she's being defiant in the face of all of this racism. Um, and as you all said, she sees this happening, and she just immediately is like, I'm not, you know, I'm not having this. She grabs a bat. She goes outside to go get her lemonade on. Um those cars that they had parked in front of the house with with the bricks on the horns, she goes to town on them. She busts out the windows at the car. Uh, she breaks off, off the bricks off of the horns. Like, she just goes in. Um, Atticus and a bunch of other dudes pop out with a shoddies to protect her and, you know, make sure she gets what she needs to does what she needs to do. Um, and then at one point, and maybe, maybe, Portia, you can tell me, at one point, Ruby also pulls up. And they put something in her trunk. They take the I, guns. They take okay, so they hit the guns. Okay, as that's soon as the, as soon as the cop um the cop sirens come off, they're like, oh yeah, okay, time to get. They okay. take the guns. Yeah. yeah, okay. I wasn't sure what they threw back there. Yeah. Um, they you know they they hide they hide the guns to hide you know the the tools that they were using or, or protect themselves with. Cops come arrest Letitia. Um, I assume they arrested everybody, but we we we. They didn't. It was just Letitia. We don't. I mean, we don't hear about anybody else getting arrested. We don't hear, but I assumed everybody because because got got because everyone immediately, which is another interesting thing. Because this happens in real life. Black people hear sirens immediately. You going on your hands and knees, putting your hands behind your back. You're like, you're about to arrest me. You about to take me in. And they were the victims of the terrorism, but you know, right? Cops aren't on right. their side, right? And also, like you, we said, get rid of the guns so we don't get shot when the cops roll up. Yeah, that too. I really um, enjoyed the yeah. song that played at this because it was like gospel sounding, and I was like, mm-hmm. mm. "It was uh, take it back by Dorinda Clark Cole, and it's specifically speaking about taking it back from the devil, and the devil has done all this damage to me, and I'm taking all the shit you owe me back." And so, straight up, it was. I loved it too because, like you said, it was like the lemonade moment, and it was also interesting that they referenced the lemonade twice because going back to the video. That um the Leomi Mald- uh, Maldonado, Maldonado, mm-hmm. I'm gonna fuck that up. Sorry about that. Mm-hmm. Um, that video that the voiceover is taken from references Lemonade. So there's like two direct Lemonade references in this one mm-hmm. episode, and the song is just a great song. It felt like a, a Quentin Tarantino moment the way it came in with those clapping and shit. I loved it. That was yeah. Different. That I mean, I, was some perfect, you know, sound trace right yeah. there. Yeah, and, and I actually really love that she took matter to her own hands because I was right there with her. I mm-hmm. was like, believe you me, I want to pick up my bat and jump into the screen and start smashing shit with her because you be tired. Like, it, you know, especially when people say things like, oh, y'all got to be peaceful and do 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 You're tired. Mm-hmm. You're tired of the bullshit and you want to take matters into your own hands. Um, When uh, they do arrest, like I said, I think everyone got arrested, but we only see Letty. Um, Letty gets thrown in the back of a paddy wagon. The cops are, you know, taking her to wherever they're taking her to to book her. Um, of course, the cop, being who they are, decides to say some some cute <laughs> phrases to her. <laughs> ben, I mean, you wanted to talk about the yes. the, 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 the terms I, I, he used. I'm I'm sorry, y'all. I'm just a, I'm a huge fan of like wild out racism in films <laughs> and televisions. <laughs> Like whenever there's some, yeah, whenever somebody says like when, uh, what is it, Tales from the Hood, when this guy is chasing these little monsters and he calls them little nidlets, 
I just oh think it's God. like, yeah, oh my God, it's so trifling, you know. And Monkey Urban League and the National Association for the Advancement of Cockroaches were a Monkey Urban League was better. I had to say that. I was just like, wow, you know, like wild out racism. Like but I give I just, no fucks. I just feel like they so weak in their in their insults. Monkey Urban League was pretty good. <laughs> Don't Don't get no. <laughs> it was uninspired. You're gonna. It was like, uninspired. Find, and it's some okay. new, uninspired. find some new animals. I don't know, but this is. Uninspired. I know. I know. I get you there. All right. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. cockroaches was new. I'd never been compared to a cockroach. I have to say. I feel like other I than heard, you know Cosby Show cockroach, and I, that was like an affection. I feel like I heard that for like white people have that for like darker brown Dark. black people. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, people have used cockroaches disparagingly. In that um, yeah, I mean, yeah, shattering yeah. the lights from on all that. Yeah, yeah I feel it. Yeah. So, in between disparaging uh, Letitia and the entire black community, the cop also, uh, you know, he, he has a conversation with her, like, you know, well, why did you buy that house? Did someone tell you to buy that house? You know, but as, of course, asking all these irrelevant ass questions as they do when they try to arrest you or arrest you. Um, the cop mentions that, you know, oh, well, you know, that's interesting. You, you really don't know anything about that house. Um, the body parts of eight black people were found there. So, oh, right. So, and, and again, this is before Letitia really knows what's the full effect of what's going on in that house or what, what's happening, what has happened in that house. Um, he reveals that he's like, I guess it's not a good sign for you. Um, and after he says that he like, he holds on to like this, um, handle or something in the car. Like he, he's, bracing himself for something and i'm like oh my god they're about to do it to her and what they do is the guy who's driving starts driving really aggressively and wild and so much so that remember letty is she's in handcuffs she's not tied down by anything there's no seatbelts. she gets thrown around the car like quite like literally thrown around tossed about she she it draws blood she gets beat up um without them even touching her um for me i immediately thought of freddie gray mm. Um, if for, and I don't, I don't remember the, the year this was, was it? Oh, 2015. Um, Freddie Gray was a black man that was arrested in Baltimore. Um, he, he was charged for possessing a knife and he fell into a coma, um, um, after he was transported in a police van. Um, they, they're, they're, the cops always say they don't know what happened to him, all this stuff, but, uh, a lot of the stories explain think that you know whether it was the cops themselves or the way that they drove him in the car to to toss him around contributed towards his his coma and his trauma and eventually his death <sighs> yeah i mean that that moment for me was just more of i mean it could be freddie gray and it could just be like just a lot like a lot of things in this episode you know it could be anyone you know there's so many historical examples of police brutality as well as experimentation on black people that a lot of these things in this episode just could be any number of cases. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, that happens. Um, they, they cut, I, I assume that Letty got freed or she got bailed out, whatever. Cause the next scene she's back at home. She's back in the basement of the Winthrop house. Um, Letty's down there messing with her photos, and she realizes that all of her photos are stretched up, starred up, some type of damage to them. Mm-hmm. She takes all of her photos down because she's got the dark room set up down there, and she takes mm-hmm. them all down and arranges them in a pile on the floor. I I don't know. I felt like this was a uh, what's the 
closely guided in the third kind. I guess she's kind of like guided to do this because once she finishes putting all these photos on the floor, a head rises up out of all the photos. <laughs> and this is straight out of Nightmare on Elm Street. Again, straight horror. Straight out of it, yeah. Um, the head rises up out of the photos. It's definitely the head of who we'll learn about later, but the head screams on Letty, and she runs up it out says, of it. says, get out of my house. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, at that point, it's time to go, baby. Like, gotta go, gotta go. <laughs> you know, yeah. So um, then Letty is upstairs, you know, wandering around, and... Out of her, not out of her mind, but just really focus about like, yo, yo, okay, I got to figure out what's going on down there. And Ruby is telling her that the tenants want to bounce because she caused all this damage to the, you know, to hit up the white boys. And now the white boys are mad and they're in danger. So they all want to bounce. And she's like, it's better if they do because she's more worried about the supernatural aspect of the house mm-hmm. than the white people outside of it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Wumi, I just want is it Wumi Mosaku? Mosaku? I want to pronounce that right because she absolutely destroys the speech that she gives uh, Letitia and just, 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 ooh, like I feel like that speech is going to either win her an Emmy and it should be practicing like mm-hmm. monologues in drama classes across the nation because it is just pure mm-hmm. fire. And what was the speech about? About, I mean, the basis of it is her being fucked up versus fucking up. And basically at the end of it, she delivers a line where she's like, you know, I always thought you were just fucking up, but you're just fucked up. And it's, yeah, it's cold, yeah. you know, and it's it's that type of shit that family members say to each other sometimes. And yeah. man, yeah. Because no. she thinks that Letitia, you know, bringing her into this house was just for her own basically personal gain, not necessarily because she wanted to do something. She wanted to do right by Ruby. She just thinks uh, Letitia is just all about herself and, and self-centered. And all these years, Ruby is constantly trying to help Letitia. But to your point, you know. She thought she was a fuck up, but no, she just fucks. She just fucked up. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is a change from the book, though. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that, like, this is what sets them off, uh, what sets Ruby off in this in this uh, series, is that um, the mother is the one who um, supposedly uh, gave the money only to Letty. Um, mm. And... Ruby's like, what do you mean? Our mom didn't have any money. You need to come to her funeral. You don't even have her last name. So mm-hmm. how are you the one who gets the benefit from her money? Um, and I thought it was I thought it was interesting that they chose to do something that would hurt the sisters even more like more deeply than in mm-hmm. the books where it's like their father, who they don't really mention in any other part of the book, um, is like this is his gambling money. Like this is this is the cover story that the um that the Brath Whites give is that like because we know that's what's gonna who is actually behind the scheme or whatever. They mm-hmm. the cover story is that it's mon- money that their father had from gambling um, that they are able to give to the siblings. Yeah, um, and that's a good point you make, Portia, because this this is uh, this version of the story. You know, they're they're stressing out the relationship between the sisters even more, which is probably a setup for something worse happening in the future, or you know, maybe even a a, a situation where they're testing their trust. Um, because it it just seems even more strained than we're used to. And then uh, Lita is going to find out, we mentioned this earlier, but she goes to talk to Montrose because she wants to find out what the hell really happened to George. Right, right. As we said before, she she's angry because she knows that George didn't just die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like you know, he she she, she she in her version of events that they told her, 
they, meaning Atticus and Montrose, told her was that, you know, they, he got shot and Montrose and Atticus took care of the guy that shot them and she saw the body and that was it. But something feels off, um, at, you know, especially as we know about this family. They're very astute. They're very observant. And they feel when something is off. Mm-hmm. And she delivers, man. That, that, Jesus Ange- Christ. Ingenue, Ingenue Ellis. Yes, she's Lord have mercy. Incredible just actor. incredible. When, I mean, just with that one word of something, you know, when Montrose mm-hmm. is like, what do you want me to tell you? And she's like, something. You know, and it's just. Mm, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, fire. So. All of this has coalesced to day 10, the final day. Remember, at the very top of this episode, you have that slate that tells you after 10 days, something crazy happened. Um, three people went missing, as they said. Um, day 10, um, you know, Letitia, at this point, she has, after she, the, the cop has told her what has told her, after the ghost has yelled, has screamed on her to get out of her house, um, she does her research and she, she now has all the info about the, or, or she believes all the info about the past of the house. Apparently there were experiments being done on black people there. Um, she, the house, you know, belonged to, uh, an astro or we think it belonged to this astrophysicist that was, um, fired from a, a nearby university for pro- conducting these experiments. Um, and she has the pictures of all of the the people who were taken, the eight black people who were experimented on. And those pictures, the faces actually show up in the photos that she took during move-in day. Um, you see that there are certain shots where people's, uh, a, a, one person's face is blurred with a completely different person's face. And when she puts it all together, they all represent the eight people um, who were experimented on. And she also lets Atticus know that uh, she was a virgin when they, you know, when it all went down. And that wasn't, you know. Yeah, that now that hit me hard because it was just like, again, uh, the the trials of being a woman. It was just like what, I, you know, I just I wonder, like, you know, was her just being embarrassed or just the shock of of it all? I mean, it was they both wanted to do it so that there, there's there's no doubt about that but the fact that she felt that she needed to tell him that it was you know her she was on her cycle as opposed to the fact that she was uh, a virgin and that was her first time having sex mm. and you know the idea that once again men be lying tree yeah i think that like especially like, given her i feel like people probably she has a rep like she looks like she hasn't had sex like she's already had sex before or whatever so people just assume things about her mm. And um, it's probably like something she's kept close to her heart that the fact that she really hasn't done anything. And then she did it with someone that she trusted that she knew from childhood. But even after they do it, like we didn't speak about this earlier, but after she tells him that was her monthly, he goes and she says, I'll see you downstairs. So she sends him away from her um, Mm -hmm. and she starts crying. And at the time you're like, oh, she crying because like she didn't think it was going to go down that way, like between the two of them. And then we find out later, you know, she's a virgin. That's her first time. And it went like that. And it's like, that's yeah. sad. That's a sad yeah. first time. Super. And it just makes me think, like, is it, you know, is it because she's in such terror at the time, you know, because she's under all this and everything? I don't know. And then there's also the horror movie trope where the people who don't have sex get to live, and now she's had sex, so. So is she going to be a targeted? <laughs> yeah, I mean, everybody's a target now. She was the mm-hmm. last one. You know, she was all good, and now it's like, oh, you know. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah, that was that was definitely a very sad scene to me. Their their whole relationship so far has been pretty sad. 
Like, it's 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 hurtful and it's very it's complicated and it's very complex. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even just the way that they express their feelings for each other, it's 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 a lot. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot to take in. So mad um, karma they got. They both got a lot of karma and drama. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm I am conflicted about how that all goes down. Um, what happens next after that happens? Well, a lot. Um, <laughs> and like been, we're and, and at this point, like we're barreling towards the end of the episode. Yeah, it's bid day ten, and um, it's nighttime of day ten, and Letty and Atticus are back at the house, and they brought a priestess or a bruja, bruja, mm-hmm. uh, My sister uh, would actually kill me for mispronouncing any of these things as she's a practicing. Um, let's see, I don't even, I don't, I, I don't know what her but actual she, title is. But she practices spirituality, yes. And in Yoruba and the faith of Yoruba and the religion and everything. So she actually gave me a little background on this because the priestess comes up. And this is a really interesting scene, right? There's a whole lot of different references made in this scene. This woman uh, slices the neck of this goat and pours the blood into a bowl and then forms X's on Atticus and Letitia and on what they call the door frame of the house. Right. And, and that comes from, that is actually a biblical thing from um, Exodus 12, where God told the Israelites to do this, to take blood, the goat of a blood and put it across their door frame. And he would not kill anyone who was in that because he was coming through for the Egyptians. And for he the was seven coming, plagues. Yeah. And he was coming through for everybody at this point. Yo, for the first that, ones. Exodus, Ooh, boy, them Exodus chapters are lit, boy. God was going ham. God was going ham. <laughs> ham, dog. I remember I read them joints when I was locked up, yo, and I was like, jeez, boy, God over here putting in work. My man should put the blood on the door or I'm coming for that ass, you know? And so she puts the blood on the door and then leads them into the house, and she says that, you know, this is to give them a seal of protection and seal the protection on the house and everything. Because mm-hmm, it's, it's haunted it's, as hell. Uh, yeah, as we know at this point, it's obviously haunted. They go back down into the basement, and there she forms a circle with them and starts praying, and she made several references to Mama Oya mm-hmm, and Shango, Shango, who are both Orishas and both very powerful Orishas, Involved with storm, lightning, fire, and, you know, the hammer down. Like, Shango is particularly known for his big acts and brings, you know, they, they bring that work when they are called upon. And the interesting thing to me is uh, my sister hasn't seen the episode, so she wasn't able to tell me exactly. But her clothing appeared to be, be more Ethiopian or Habesha-based. It looked like what I've seen when I'm in Ethiopia, mm. uh, um, what traditional wear is that. Because Yoruba traditionally is all white. While her stuff was adorned with beads and everything down the mm. middle and around the uh, cuffs of her hands. Mm. But these are all just great references. And it made me think because Letty makes a reference to her mom when they're bringing her into the house, right? And they're like, you know, because Atticus, is, when he sees her cutting the goat, he's like, yo, where you find that? And she's like, my mom was fraud. You know, she couldn't <laughs> speak to go. I mean, she couldn't speak to ghosts. And so this might be a friend of her mom or someone. And yeah. So but it's not always like that. Oh, my friend's mom. <laughs> can and can you know, get the juju out your house? And it also references um, poltergeist yet again because in poltergeist yeah. they bring in this woman who you know is all woo woo. You know she's gonna solve everything and get served. You know, right now that's what I thought when when yeah. this when this priestess came in. I swore she was gonna get served. Oh, and as she does, and um, but yeah, she <laughs> prays and makes these references and stuff and calls upon the spirits to protect her and the reasons to protect her and. 
It just doesn't go down like that because. <laughs> <laughs> well, the spirits. So I mean, they seem like protected at first because yeah. she she does call upon the, the house spirits, and yep. those eight house spirits do start popping out. Mm-hmm. Um, they start you know partying. Uh, they start really rocking in the place, and <laughs> it 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 becomes very dangerous very quick. Um, what as it was happening at one point, the the priestess she goes, "Oh, it's working." And I was like, wait a minute, you didn't think it was going to work? Like, I, I was just like... <laughs> no, that's what I mean. I, I feel like she's bringing in all these different references and it's like, what is it, a, a jack of all trades, a master of none? Because, yeah, no. It was so I'm like, is she, is she like, oh, it's working? Like, she, she's, real, she's like, great? Or she didn't think it was going to go down like that and here we are. And I'm like, well, damn, you got to protect us now. So, you know, you see all this this fury and and, and wind banging in the room. And, and as you say, it's very poltergeist, very, very... Um, exorcist. Uh, then what we what's happening? Oh, they try and run out. They uh, <laughs> add. I mean, you know, basically they so, try to run out because yeah. you get scared. Like, like Letty's screaming for. Okay, <laughs> but screaming. they only are forced to try to run out because the ghosts make the water pipe bust open and it removes yeah. their marks, which is their protection. So they're like, oh, crap, ah. now we're not protected oh, so you anymore. You think because they don't have the protection, yeah. they're gone. They should have been running out as before that. Been <laughs> as soon as Letty <laughs> like, saw Homegirl have no blood on her forehead, she was like, oh shoot, it's about to happen. We got to go. Yeah. It was gonna I, happen honestly, either way. I, wasn't I think thinking about the damn goat blood. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, we we are not protected right now. Yeah. But, but yes, Portia, you're absolutely right. Yep. The shower, the the, the the ghosts fuck up the house. Shower, the water comes down. They try to dip. Ghosts like, nah, son, you with us now. Yeah. Grabs up the woman, possesses her, uh, slams her into the ceiling, slams the ground. Her. Now, isn't, isn't that I like cried every, laughing. I every cried horror, laughing. Like, are, isn't that like damn near every, every classic time. horror movie has that scene where the person's body gets slammed to the ceiling the, and felt? And first the of Conjuring. All, should, the Conjuring, yes. The I conjuring. cried laughing in that one too when it happened. Shouldn't you die at that point? Like, that's like, your back got broken. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like instant death usually. No, it pop, like possibly para, like paralysis, but not <laughs> This is like... Breaking Batman's back type stuff, not yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, because she got slammed like double time, like wham, wham. Saying? These are normal people, but whatever. Yeah. She gets slammed. The priestess gets slammed around, and as Benamin says, she gets possessed by one of the ghosts. Uh, as not by ha- one of them, by by the oh, white man ghost. By the white no. By the cracker ghost. The, oh wow, <laughs> <laughs> that was actually Atticus that got. Atticus got possessed no, by the white man. Yeah, but it passes from her passes, from her right. to him. Right. Both of them. So, it's a typical, you know, possession yeah. movie. Uh, the one Denzel did that joint where the evil ghost goes through touch and gets passed on and on. Mm, yep. Yes. So that the white man's ghost, the the the, the I thought it was the ghost of the astrophysicist, mm-hmm. goes through the priestess. Uh, sh- she passes out. <laughs> it goes through Atticus. Um, and then, of course, Letitia is terrified out her mind, as I would be as well. Um, she, but but you know, this is also Atticus that that is going through this. You know, he's he's speaking in tongues or whatever he's going through, and like that's again, this is the same man that took your virginity. I took it. <laughs> it's like he just he just took it without asking. But but this is the same man that you were just with that you basically expressed your feelings to. He expressed your feelings to her, and now he's this thing coming towards you to uh, probably hurt you. What do you do? It's a it's a it's a conflicting situation. Calling your ancestors, and presumably that's what she does. That's um, what she does. Yeah. So all at this point, 
you know, she starts. I don't. I'm not. I don't rem- quite remember what she was saying or really hearing she, what she was saying. She she tells them that they're not dead yet and that they can continue to fight and don't okay. let this man win. And this is your house, just like it's his house, and okay. get his ass up out of here. This okay. is my house. Get the fuck out. But before we get rid of the, <laughs> we get rid of the ghosts. We the ghosts mm-hmm. take care of some new some people that try to hop into the house in the first place. Yep. The, mm-hmm. the yeah. ghosts take care of all the crackers. They take care of the cracker ghosts. They take care of the crackers. <laughs> Look, they are crackers. No, no, no. those the, men coming in the house are the definition of crackers. Yeah, I, yes. as when when they were first trying to bless the house, um, you know, they're in the basement. This is a huge house, three stories. Um, while that while they're down there, the three Alvin and Chipmunks walk in, and you know, <laughs> sneak into the Alvin house the with crackers. bats, presumably to hurt the black folks again. And as Portia is saying. Um, the ghosts make sure that nothing happens to their people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I thought it was cool. I wanted to mention that that circle of ghosts. And again, oh. this this reminded me again of the Thirteen Ghosts movie, um, where uh, you know, as Letitia is basically saying these lament, I don't, I don't know what it is that she's saying. She's these, these aff- affirmations, but she's she's sharing these affirmations with the ghosts. And as this is happening, you see them getting stronger because. When the ghosts first start forming around her, they, you know, you see like where they their body parts were cut off. Someone has like their head cut off. Someone has their arm, hands, stuff like that. One ghost had like the head of a baby, yeah, but the body of a of a grown man. Yeah. Um. As she's saying these affirmations, and and the ghosts are actually getting, I, I want to say they're getting stronger. They're they're reverting back to their original form, like mm-hmm. you know how they were before they were they were dismembered. And as they're getting stronger and getting put back together. You know, this this energy is going against this white man who's in the center of a circle. And and I assume that's all the, uh, our ancestor energy being put against him to get rid of him. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a cool scene, just how they did it from a from a visual perspective. Oh, yeah. So beautiful. And I love they were playing uh, Satan. We're going to tear your kingdom down by Shirley Caesar mm-hmm. during that scene. And that was so powerful. Like that music um, journey just like. All the women in this show, I mean, everybody in the show is some fantastic acting, but God damn it, like, Journey in that scene, screaming, you know, get the yeah. fuck out of my house. She you has know, so much power. So much in her little frame, and, you know, you just feel all that energy. It was like, ooh, yeah, Lord. Yeah. yeah, what a scene. Yeah. yeah. Um, Interesting part about how uh, the three white men who who broke in the house got killed, because, you know, again, at least one of them gets killed in, in a way that I presume is similar to to how one of the ghosts was dismembered. But we also see a, 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 a what is that called? A, not a foresight, but we also see a foreshadowing. foreshadowing. We see this foreshadowing happening at the beginning of the episode when Ruby is walking. Oh, excuse me. When Letitia's walking around showing Ruby the house, she tries to show Ruby this elevator that's in this house. The elevator's not working. It's a little weird. She opens up the elevator door. She sticks her head in the shaft and the elevator cart comes barreling downwards and she gets pu- she jumps back just in time but if she didn't she would have been decapitated well fast forward to now where the ghosts are are taking care of the, the the white intruders one of the guys gets killed the same way letty almost got killed and gets beheaded by one of the the elevators a very gruesome scene uh so, so for those who who are scared to watch that's probably one of the scenes you probably yeah. be nervous of um at that point, I was just like, "Oh, I can't, I can't, I can't watch no more." I'm not sure how the other ones got taken. The other of. ones, um, they went into the Ori room where the Ori is now missing. Um, mm-hmm. They thought so. The funny thing about it is, because you know they were looking around the house for black people, and 
they go to each of the doors and there's no one there because all the people left besides Letty cause, and Atticus because they were scared of the house and what's going to happen now that she retaliated against the dudes. Now they're going to retaliate against them. So they're walking around this empty house and there's no one there. So they go towards the room that's the Ori room and they hear whispers. They open mm. the... And then so the one guy's like, they're in here. So the other guy joins him. They open the door with their bats ready and they're not ready at all because the ghost pushed them in. And then one of the ghosts, it looks like they had taken his head off and put the baby's head on it. Starts mm-hmm. the baby's head starts crying, and like walking to him is a full grown man's body wearing a basketball yeah. uniform with the baby's head crying, yeah. and like they're freaking out at that. And then when they turn around, they kind of get knocked over, and then the boiler boils up, and all the steam comes off of it, and also it burns them yeah. to death. Ah, okay. Okay. Yeah, I was just like, oh my gosh, there's so much going on. I got scary. I was like, oh my god. Uh, yeah. So it seems like now again, th- this is so. Eventually, they exercise the white man spirit out of the house. Presumably, all the black ghosts are still there. Hopefully, they'll calm down. They'll be more benevolent. Um, and does it just end like that? No, no, no. It, it doesn't and the, end like that. As far as the house, not the episode. Well, yeah, no. The house is... Uh, then the next scene we see at the house is uh, Letty showing off the house to a news reporter. Uh, yeah. Who's doing a whole story about, you know, Letty moving in. But now she's moving in people who are uh, poor... Not poor, but um, less fortunate people in the neighborhood instead of trying to move in all these artists and stuff. Right. So now she's looking out for the people that Ruby would have wanted to. And so she's like, this whole thing is inspired by Ruby. Uh, the woman asked her off the record about the three men who vanished. Who went she, missing. She's like, I don't know nothing about that. Uh, they take the elevator downstairs. As the elevator goes downstairs, the camera follows it. And we see the language of Adam written throughout like the foundation of the house. It starts mm-hmm. flowing as they pass. And then you also see... The bodies of the three men, as well as the rest of the bodies of the black people who were the skeletons, for that's all that's left of them now, um, of the, all the black people who were experimented upon. And it's like in a sub basement. So mm-hmm. it was yeah. interesting to me because, I mean, and she, Letty mentions this whenever she pulls out the pictures of the people who are um, passed away in the house and um, what the cop had told her. She mentions that the cop is like, he's in the same pictures with the doc, the uh, professor who did that to people's bodies. So she believes that the cop is the one who supplied him with the black people and that's how he's entangled in this. Um, but it's interesting to me that he said that these bodies the were found in the basement of the house, but the basement of the house is clear. The body, the skeletons of these people are in the sub-basement past mm-hmm. the yeah. foundation where the language of Adam is. So yep. he probably has so to do them. with the language of mm-hmm. adam if he's able to get down to the sub-basement yep mm-hmm. um and, and the elevator is moving on its own so i'm just like what's that about and also during that scene where letty's talking to the reporter like letty looks very nervous like she's she's constantly looking around like i don't know if you noticed but i noticed it like even with the elevator she looked like she looked like she was look like she was hoping nothing would go wrong like a like something wouldn't just move out of place or move on its own or something like that, which uh, makes me think the ghosts are going to come back. I thought she was more confident in that scene. I thought it was more of a like, the ghosts are down with me. This is my house. We live in here. She, you know? she gave 
Yeah. I, I would say watch that again because she was kind of looking around like she was looking for something or, or watching out for something, I should say. And uh, now, yeah, she's confident as her house now, but she looked like she was watching out for something. Hmm. I thought I'll take a more of a, like the ghost, of, you know, after she, you know, restored them to the original form, I feel like, you know, they down with her, you know. Mm, mm, yeah. Mm. We rolling now. Okay. Yep. Um, and then we finally get to one of the final scenes or the final scene of the show, mm-hmm. of this episode. And uh, basically, Atticus sees the silver Daimler, or it's not even a Daimler, it's a Bentley in this uh, show, and which means Christina's back in town. He goes into this office to confront her, pulls out the gun. She freezes him with a spell and is like, look, fam, you know, none of that bullshit will work. But <laughs> if you want to get down with some real power, you know, I can, we can go get the rest of these pages of this, um, what is the of the book of of the book of names? Because she reveals that her dad only had one page of the book of names, and with that one page, all the power he had. So if mm-hmm. they really want to get some power, they can get the rest of these pages and really come up. And and they, I mean, it's like that damn addict. Because I, I mean, I get it. You know, you really thought the gun was gonna do something, fam, like fam, like fam, like we've seen, you know, we've I'm seen like, how these people move at this point. You know, like thank fam. you, like you see how they move, and this isn't the first time they've been frozen. They've been frozen at yeah. least twice before. So you thought you was gonna get the jump on her? Like I, I don't know desperation. I don't know, but. You know, I do like that Atticus figures out, you know, about the Winthrop house. He figures out where the money really come from, that it didn't come from Letty's mom, but it came from these people, and that they are still won't leave these Negroes alone. Like, no. No. Especially because no. she knows that they're related, so... And yeah. She's going to use him for her own purposes. So, now, to me, this is when she's starting to get back into the Caleb, the book Caleb role, mm-hmm. because now she, she's starting to lean back into that side where it's like... try Because... And... and Ben, I think she was, as you mentioned this before, I think she's a little bit more charming in this episode. Oh, yeah, definitely. She was, she was, there, there was definitely some, some sensual seduction, you know, in between her freezing going on right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and she, she plays tick to the left by having the very, um, I love the line she says. She said, you got to be more careful. You can't just go around killing white women. Ain't that the truth. I love how they set it all up. Like when Tick comes into the office and she tells the realtor to leave, he goes and mm-hmm. he slowly closes the blind so that, you know, he doesn't have any witnesses when he's trying to shoot this white lady. And then yeah. when oh, she has him frozen, she makes sure to open up the blinds while he's sitting there yeah. frozen. <laughs> so he's sitting there with his like, gun out stupid. in front of the window. And I was like, she really just played this man so hard. All the way. I really wish, though, like, I wondered in the first episode, like, uh, after the first episode, like, yeah, basically the second episode, why they didn't explain um, the protections on, like, the car and on her. Um, Mm -hmm. I wondered why they didn't do that. And now I'm seeing, like, oh, they're really just trying to make sure that Atticus is always on his toes. Because if he knew, like, all the things that were were protected, Mm -hmm. he wouldn't be able to Mm -hmm. move the way he moves right now. Right. Which which makes me think, does the... Does Letitia and them probably not know that the language of Adam is at the foundations of the house? Right. Probably not. You know, and they don't and they don't yet know. It's not until this scene that we know that this house had anything to do with the whole Sons of Adam group. So it's just interesting how that's going to play itself out. Um, And then, um, again, music is very important to this series. Uh, Sinner Man by Nina Simone plays to close out the episode. Um, the the song from that, that Nina sings um, is actually 
uh, a song from her childhood that was used at revival meetings by her mother, who was a Methodist minister. And that song was used to help people confess their sins. Mm-hmm. Oh, Sinner Man, who you gonna run to? And I think that song's been closing out pretty much every episode. So that seems to be like the theme song and also like, you know, the statement for the show, like who you gonna run to, you know, Sinner mm-hmm. Man, all that stuff. So it's yeah, yeah. It's funny to me because like Sinner Man was like, I don't know, as a millennial, my reference mm-hmm. to Sinner Man, my original one was Timbaland doing Oh yep. Timbaland, where are you like doing that song? Ooh. Oh. Oh yuck. <laughs> Sorry, I just, I just, no, I just, I just realized that's what he was doing there. I, did, I just I didn't realized know that. it. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I did not know that. So before. that was my yeah. first reference to that to <laughs> this song because I didn't hadn't you know heard Nimmon, uh so Nimmon yeah. played before then, and then also um, earlier of the is you is or isn't is you isn't my baby like Bubba Buster Rhymes um says that during his song with pharrell um mm-hmm. like drop it like like your son's on fire i gotta move girl like you're on fire yeah, like yeah. yeah. On fire. and yeah. then um on that video he he does that he does like the big wolf howl like it's like his uh flair so it was really mm-hmm. it was like an old like night like 40s cartoon kind of thing um mm-hmm. so that was my first reference to these like older black songs like that were like part of our whole like literature you know whole music literature history um yeah. And so, like, it's funny to me, like, it's these songs have much, so much more, like, history and balance, but, like, they're, they've are they been made relevant throughout time by these other artists who are more modern. And, yeah. like, hearing Cinnamon go on every episode ending, I'm just like, this is, like, this show itself, like, hearing the history as you shared it, like, it's supposed to, it's like an old gospel that you heard it in church. I'm like, I didn't even have any, like balance mm. how did this gospel standard become a timbaland reference like mm. when did that happen listen you you'd be surprised how much stuff stems from gospel and it's now secular but uh yep. it, you know it, it and again goes back to the whole title of the episode about the holy ghost and 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 remember how we talked about how it affected our own lives and our own experiences um so that is the end of this episode this is the end of this recap thank you all for joining us we will be back next week for some more as always, make sure you are subscribed to For All Nerds. That's how you get to listen to the Safe Negro podcast show. We are on every, generally, every single podcast platform you could think of, including your faves. Again, at For All Nerds. If you want to follow us on social media, you can also follow us individually. I'm at Tatiana King. At DJ Ben Amin. And at poor underscore she underscore or uh. I know you're going to update that one day. So <laughs> One day soon. One day soon. Uh, so we'll see you all soon and make sure you are tuned in. Bye.